Nikki, the podcast. Wake up. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh my hey, God. guys. Welcome to the IBS Freedom Podcast. I am Hello. joined by my very sleepy co-host, Amy Hollenkamp, R to the D. And hey, everybody. Today, if you couldn't tell, we are talking about sleep. Sleep. Yeah. My favorite topic. Ooh. So I hope that I hope that we like you said before we started that I hope we win an an Emmy for that yes. performance of like a sleep Nikki and a sleep Amy. Um, if you're not watching this on YouTube, if this is audio only, then you really missed out. You should go check out the YouTube video of that because I'm sure it's going to be quite amusing. But uh, oh my gosh, I'm like crying because I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm I'm physically trying to recover from that. It was hey, just how it was how hard you committed. To being asleep oh, yeah. that I wasn't expecting, I like assumed a really cute, like unrealistic sleep pose, no. and you went Something straight. Something Right, right. You yeah. went, you went straight there, straight to the to the deep sleep. Oh if my I, gosh! If I felt like spit would have showed up on the camera, I would have mustered like a little bit of drool. Also, because oh I feel like that could gosh. also be kind of a classic, but I figured it wouldn't really show up on the camera anyway. So what's the point? Right, right, right. right. Oh my gosh, I am like hot because I'm sweating or because I'm <laughs> I was laughing so hard and like trying to control it because I had to do my role. Yes, the... yes, and you you executed it beautifully. I am so oh, so proud. I don't know. Especially I don't know. I was losing my mind. You're not usually the first to speak, so that was kind of a true. Big step for you too, I'm so. very. One of these days, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to introduce us and, and try to really match match the energy the that you present. Fair. But I just feel like you do such a great job with the the energy of the Shoot. intro that I don't know. I don't think I can live up to that. So That's I just right. we won't we won't mess with it. Besides, right. I still you know I have a role. I start us off and then I always kick it to you of, all right, so we're talking about sleep. So give us sure. a little primer on the sleep thing. So I always make you go first with like the actually clinically relevant stuff right. anyway. So it's, we share the load. Hashtag share yes. the load. Okay. Yes. So uh, to that mm. point, we're talking about sleep and how right. it affects the gut and how freaking important it is. But you want to give us a little bit of a primer or a little bit of a starting point and then we will converse. Yes, I, I think from a sleep, sleep something that I feel like so many people are not focusing as much time and energy on. There's so much focus on the diet side of things and the supplements that sometimes I'll talk to people and they're getting either really poor quality sleep. I think that's pretty common. They're waking up a lot in the middle of the night. Maybe they're having trouble falling asleep. And then sometimes just the hours are are not enough, not sufficient. Yeah. And it's so normalized in our culture, kind of like stress. We talk about stress and not mm. getting sleep is a stressor in and of itself. Yeah. But I feel like it's this all sleep when I'm dead mentality yeah. is so prevalent in our culture. That burn it's, the candle at both ends. Right. And it's one of those things too, where I almost have to press people and, and I have intake mm. forms, so I'm not typically yeah. pressing too hard, but press them on like, cause sometimes they'll be like, oh, I get enough sleep. And it's like, well, what does that mean exactly? And they're like, you know, like six hours solid. And I'm like, oh, you probably need more than that. So there's, yeah. I think just having a reference point that's skewed because of our culture or maybe like how your parents slept, like what the people around yeah. you, how their sleep habits were. But 
I think some of the research on sleep and circadian rhythms in the gut health space have more recently been popping up and how important that can be at regulating the microbiome, motility, and I think just in general stress on the body, your body needs to recover and sleep allows your body to recover. So it's such an important piece and I'm glad we're talking about it because I oftentimes think like stress, it's like an afterthought, like, oh, you should be getting more sleep. But sometimes people that aren't getting enough sleep are probably paying as much of attention as they should to it. Well, I find too, like the recommendations oftentimes are very nonspecific, or they feel really like floaty. And then it's hard to actually make a change based on that, like, eat more vegetables, or like eat vegetables. Like, okay, so if you have one serving of carrots a week, you can tell yourself that you eat vegetables. But right. like kind of quantifying it and having a benchmark or a goal, like I think we talked about last time, makes more sense. And that way you could you could basically assess and keep an eye on things and you can know more discernibly, like, am I doing a good job at this? Yes or no. And I feel like similarly sleep is such a thing where it's like, oh, get more sleep. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but how specifically and that's where you could really get into picking apart like like you said are you not getting enough sleep is it shifted like are you like in some crazy night owl mode where you're going to bed super late waking up super late and you're out of sync with the rest of the world is it that which did i say first like poor quality not enough or a shifted schedule or something else in between like trying to iron out, okay, what exactly about your sleep needs improvement and how can we help your body rest and recover and rejuvenate itself before you have to go live another day of human life? Um, right, right. Like it, it's what you're saying so true. Like everything that we do, there almost has to be some level of investigation as to what's driving the dysfunction. Because a lot of times people know like, oh, I... I need to get eight hours or like, oh, I'm, I'm going to try to get more sleep. But sometimes they just can't like, you know, they're waking up a lot. The quality's poor. Sometimes it is like more of a choice and there can be things like they're just not going to bed at a particular time and yeah. they're decent sleepers. But I think more often the clients that I talk to are struggling with the quality of their sleep. Yeah. Um, there's some that aren't getting enough hours because they're just not going to bed at at a similar time each night. Yeah. They don't really have a good uh, nighttime routine. Yeah. That's pretty consistent. But I think a lot of people too that I work with are trying pretty hard to get sleep, but it's frustrating because they can't. Um, yeah. And there's lots of potential reasons for that that we can get into. But you're right. It takes peeling back some of the layers of like, is this a bedtime issue? Is it a a blood sugar issue at night that mm. oftentimes causes people to wake up. Is it, is it a bed uh, issue? Like does, right. your, does your pillow or your bed totally suck? Right. Like that also, you know, the chiropractor in me, um, I have a question on my questionnaires asking people like, how old is your bed? And I remember somebody recently, I don't remember which patient it was, but somebody recently said that their bed was pretty new. I think like six months old And they mentioned in the notes, they said, I used to get horrible sleep and then I got this new bed and now I sleep like a champion. Yeah. So like if you have a really old bed or a really uncomfortable bed, 
Or if you run really hot at night, maybe you need a bed that's going to like take away some of the heat from right. your body. Um, like that might be worth considering too. But yeah, the, the thing that you're sleeping on could play a big role in this as well. Yeah, that's such a great point. I am. Um... I'm someone who's very, very temperature sensitive at night, like for the longest time. And it took me some time to realize this, but I couldn't sleep really well in the same bed as my husband. Like I would get super hot and then I'd like throw the covers off and then get super cold. Like I couldn't temperature yeah. regulate if someone else was in the room or in the bed, yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because like, I mean, if someone else is another 98 degree person is in your bed, it's going to change the whole temperature of yeah. the bed. Um, so, so what was your solution? I, so I had, I, had two, I had two solutions. A king size bed helped yes. like push him away. <laughs> get out of here, get out of my zone. Yeah. So a king size bed helped because I recognized too, every time we went to like a hotel that was a king size bed, I slept fine. Yeah. Because he was further away. Yeah. There could be a gap. Get away from me. Right. Get out of here. And then um, and then I also started using a chili pad. Have you heard of these? I have. I was going to ask if you've ever used that or the Uller is the other one, right? They're the same company, but it's a slightly different product, right? Chili pad versus Uller? I think, I think they're the same. Maybe. I could be wrong. Okay. I need to double check. Or maybe but, like a um, next generation thing. Yeah, I think it is a next generation thing. Okay. I think they've had like an original one, but it's it's basically it goes over your bed. It's almost like a mattress topper, uh-huh. and it has little. You're cringing because you're already cold. Listening this is to my this worst story. nightmare. I already know. So um, continue. But it has little piping, like that water flows through through the whole thing, and so it pumps water in and cools the water. So essentially, it's like an air conditioner for your bed. That's how it's kind of marketed. So um, you're sleeping on like a certain temperature. Um, and I find that some like sometimes it's different. Like usually I'll set it at around 64, 65 degrees uh-huh. under under me. Uh-huh. Um and it, it helps me sleep. I sleep really well with a chili pad. I've heard amazing um, things about it. I've debated getting one for my husband because he throws off heat like a freaking furnace. <laughs> yeah, he would probably really like it. Um, yeah. Again, I, I found it really helpful for sleep. And again, temperature, especially at night, can affect sleep too. Yeah. Um, if you're not necessarily a great sleeper, that could be something to play around with. Yeah. Um, Even just the thermostat. Sorry to interrupt you, but right, just the just the thermostat for sure. I I have a question on my sleep questionnaire where I I ask them what temperature is your thermostat set to at night, and then there's another checkbox like, do you and your family agree on this temperature? And I kid you not, one of my patients I'll never forget. Her her husband, who was also a patient of mine, her husband grew up. I forget in like. Alabama or Mississippi, somewhere where it's hot and humid. And he just, he always wanted it to be hot and humid. And I forget where she grew up. Definitely not there. Switzerland or Germany, I think. And she would complain about it. But then I came to be that they kept their house at 80 degrees. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And my poor patient was like massively fatigued. And yeah, it was, that was a conversation to be had. I don't remember what they ended up doing with it, but... (laughs) Like, 
No, but I don't even think I could sleep with that temperature. Like, I'm a corpse person, but I think that even (laughs) for me, 80 degrees, I'd be like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. I agree. I do the opposite of you. I have a heated blanket. It's just a, like a twin size one, but I preheat my bed in the winter and like the spring and the fall. But like I preheat the bed for a while and then I get in and it's just, it's like boiling lava hot. I just like, oh, and every (laughs) single night, every night of my life, I get in bed. I'm like, oh, I love the heated blanket. Oh my gosh. Or I say, I hope the person who invented heated blankets is filthy, stinking rich because they deserve it. But I always remark on how much I love my heated blanket and I leave it on and I cook with it for like half an hour or so. And then I turn it off before I actually go to bed. So. Oh my gosh. I I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I know that. um, So the chili pad actually can heat up to 110 degrees as well. So it goes both directions. So if you're someone that is, but I, I would assume that it would be way cheaper just to get a heated blanket than to yeah. do a chili pad. But I think, again, it's much more cost effective yeah. if you want a cooler bed than hotter bed. But <clears throat> I, I really do like the chili pad. I, I find it really helpful for me. And it's it's interesting, too. Like, uh, I remember, like, being in the dorm like being in a dorm in college and at the beginning there was no air conditioning in the dorm. So like, and we were there in like August. And you went to school in Kentucky, right? Well, this was actually at a school called Denison. That was my first year. I actually played basketball there very briefly and then transferred. Um, But Denison is actually like a, a small liberal arts school in Ohio. Um, it's kind of near Columbus, so like central Ohio. Okay. Um, but still, I mean, it was like 95 degrees outside during the day and then, you know, super hot at night. And I remember horrib- like such horribly sleeping so horrible. And I, I just think it's such a big factor for so many people. Um, and yeah, playing around with the temperature is a really good suggestion. Even thermostat, even like fans. Um, two in the room. It's so funny because Armand is like, does not like fans in the room. Like we're both like finicky about temperature, (laughs) but like in opposite directions. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one and it can, it can regulate circadian rhythms too. temperature can. Yeah. Um, so again, if you're typically at a colder temperature at night, it might help with sleep. But it does yeah. vary, I think, generally speaking. Person. Yeah. And even for me, again, I'm a self proclaimed corpse person. But <sighs> even for us, like, I think Mike keeps the thermostat at like 68 or 69 at night. Yeah. And then, like, I will pile up the blankets, but you're actually better off having a cool room with a bunch of blankets on you. Yeah. As opposed to having the heat turned up higher or having the air conditioner set to a higher temperature. Because then at least you have the flexibility that you could remove a blanket if you need to. Right. But if you have that thermostat cranked up to like 72, 75, 80, you can't really do much about that other than maybe a fan or a chili pad. So where you set your thermostat is probably one of the first things to be addressed if you are having crappy sleep. Um, What are some other like really basic, like yeah, basic moves for, do you know what that reference is from? I feel like maybe... Your is husband that, would. That's um, that one show with Kristen Bell. 
Yes. Yeah. The good place. The, which the is good like, place. You know what, Michael? Okay. You're basic. Yeah. So anyway, what are some other basic moves <clears throat> that you do to help people sleep better, even before we get into the nitty gritty of like falling asleep, staying asleep, circadian rhythm, yeah. et cetera? I think basics, usually with basic stuff, I like when I first work with a client to understand what's what's going on with their sleep but and see how it changes with some of the basic things. So one thing is nutrition in general, like getting nutrition to be adequate can usually help a lot with sleep. Mm. Like if, if someone's under eating, I would expect that they're, yeah. they could have really poor sleep. Yep. So if under eating's at play, that's like primary step. So usually I'll be like, oh, let's check back in on sleep once we get nutrition yeah. up to where it needs to be. Um, typically, I will also try to help people establish like good light patterns. So mm-hmm. getting trying to get some some natural light in the morning to prime their body to understand that this is morning time. So it kind of anchors hormones and digestive processes and things like that in our body. If you have the master clock of the circadian rhythm Mm -hmm. being anchored by light patterns. So getting some some natural light in the morning, I think can be helpful. And that can be like through a window. Um, I think obviously getting outside would be best, but like We all can't do that. Uh, I have a window kind of right here. You can sort of see it getting some natural light on my face. Um, but I, I think getting natural light can be really beneficial. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think the opposite's true with uh, bedtime is trying to avoid things like blue light that can affect yeah. melatonin release. Yeah. Um, and melatonin, Again. for those of you who aren't aware, is something that it's a neurotransmitter or neurochemical that is released in your brain, and it's what tells you, okay, now is sleepy, sleepy time. So yeah. it, it initiates sleep. It doesn't necessarily keep you asleep, but it initiates sleep or it makes you yeah. sleepy. So continue. <clears throat> yeah, and I so I think that, that limiting that, even if you're kind of wearing blue blockers, trying to kind of dim some lights at night just or like have kind of dimmer night, dimmer night light, mood lighting. Uh, right. Mood lighting at night. Um, I also think just in general consistency of, um, bed and wake up times, Huge. if possible is so yeah. important. Um, <clears throat> I find too, and we've talked about it in the past, like one of the hardest parts that I think, you know, having a child so stressful is how dysregulated sleep gets oh, with like cool. sleep timing and, and those sorts of things. <clears throat> we can maybe talk about that a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I actually think that like sometimes people will never recover sleep timing, like sleep wake times, falling to sleep times for a long period of time, maybe ever. Like sometimes I'm talking to people who it's been three years, three or four years since they had their kid and they've just yeah. never gotten back to a good sleep cycle. Um, but typically meal or meal times, bedtime, wake times, I think could be yeah. helpful with yeah. with circadian rhythms. Those would be probably the basic things I would okay. have people people try. Um, Let me just ask to, you this. Go ahead. Do do you advocate no screen time before bed? <clears throat> I do. I, I do. I think there's people that still do. From what I like, from what just working with people, I think it's a hard 
thing to to break. Um, right, and and I think I think the probably worst thing to do is be on your phone and it's this far away from your face. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you don't have any blue blockers or anything that's kind of affecting the the tint. Yeah. My husband's a bad culprit was, of this. I was just going to lead to the microphone and say, do you hear this, Michael Danessa? Do you hear oh this? Oh, my gosh. Because my, oh my husband, gosh. too. Yeah, he, I don't know. And I even bought Armand blue blockers, and he just doesn't wear them. I'm like, you know, you're it, this is like this close to your face, shining blue light in. Like, you're, it's right before bed. Um, oh. but, but he... We we still we have some work to do, Nikki, with our yes. husbands. But yes, even Mike, like we will sometimes watch YouTube videos. Yeah. In bed, like if there's like last night there was a new episode of You Suck at Cooking. Have you seen this channel? <laughs> no, no. Oh, I'll send it to you later. Um, so there was a new episode of You Suck at Cooking. So we kind of like you know gathered around the phone, and when we watch things on an iPhone like that, eight times out of ten. He will complain vehemently about the red filter app that I have. Right. I have the red filter too. Can you disable that? Can you turn that off? And I'm like, no. Because it's for the exact purpose what we're using it for now. We are watching something on the phone. I I could disable it if we weren't looking at the phone. But he gets all perturbed and like, I can't see it. It's all (laughs) right. Um, Right. I have that on my phone and it always like freaks people out. They're like, why is your phone red? Um, I'm like, my oh, favorite is when I send screen captures to somebody, like a patient or a friend, and then the th- the entire screen capture is like a pinkish reddish. Oh my tint. gosh! I'm like, what's wrong with it? And I'm like, oh, my circadian rhythm. I let me tell you about it. Right. Yeah. I. So again, I, I'm certainly someone that at times will be on my phone at night. Usually, I try to have my blue blockers on and yeah. have some things to mitigate it. I have. You know, the red on my phone, too. This kind of yeah. jazzy. Oh, is redder than mine. Yeah, mine, so wear... mine, like you, click the, the home button. Is that how yours is? I know yours is an Android, right? Oh, yeah, mine's an Android. Do you have an iPhone? Yes. Okay, maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah so, so, like, um, mine, let me see if I can put it up to the screen. All right, so I have an app called Twilight. And okay. I think if I click this, okay, maybe not. <laughs> uh, oh, there we go. It it very gradually got pinker, and now it's back to normal. That was very not compelling. It okay. looks really pink, but yours is really, really red. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like people are like, something. what is going on? Yeah, yeah, mine mine is gentler than that, but. Yeah, I that's actually, why people are like, what's wrong with your phone? Yeah. It's like a I, demon has possessed it. Yeah, yeah, and I will usually, I use the app on my phone, and I have one installed on my computer called Flux that does mm-hmm. the same exact thing, yeah. and then I will wear my big geeky orange goggles in addition to that, and then, like, that's kind of my normal jam. But, yeah, I think... It's such a hard sell, the idea of no yeah. screen time. It is, it is. Because all of us just want to unwind for the day and, like, look at our phones. Right, um, right. I've been right. trying to get better about that. I mean, again, my kind of defragment method for the evening is I'll watch YouTube videos, usually about Japan. And I'm planning my trip to Japan someday, so I'll watch, like, something related to Japan, typically, or the occasional You Suck at Cooking video. Right. Um, but... 
yeah, yeah that's like, like my downtime. But, but I try to get better, and I go kind of in spurts. I'm getting better about reading an actual physical book. For those younger viewers who might not be aware, we used to have things called books. And, you know, it was like paper. So they would cut very thin slices of trees, and then they would print words on it. And so I have some of these archaic books at my house that I'm working through gradually. Um, But I've tried to get better about, like, reading a physical book rather than watching right. a guy's video or something on my, video, on my phone. Right. So I'm getting a little bit better about that. I'm the same way. I think, like, for me, I get into really good trends with, or, like, really good, on a really good roll with reading. I, there are times where I'm just like, it's like two or three months I'm reading every night before bed. And then other yeah. times I definitely will be more on my phone. And I think, again, there's there's ways to mitigate it. I think blue blockers helps. If you feel like that's like just a really great way to unwind, I'm usually not going to like have someone stress too much about it. Um, I One thing too that I heard um, from Dave Mayo, who does a lot of circadian rhythm stuff. Um, he was saying, I, I um, messaged him because I was talking to a client and they were telling me, uh, they were kind of asking if blue blockers were worth it and things like that. I was bouncing some ideas off of him. And he was saying that it's actually pretty important to dim like the your surrounding lights. Like, mm. in, And he kind of argues now that it might even be more important than like blue light, like dimming some of the lights in your house because a lot of LED, like all the lights in our house are crazy, like LED, super energy efficient. Yeah. Um, And it's like, it like burns through your retinas to, to have them on full blast. Um, But a lot of the old school light bulbs aren't like that. And you can actually buy, I've debated on buying some. Um, They have some that are more circadian rhythm, Based, and I don't know if they just change throughout the day, like the amount of light that's coming out. Um, I haven't done tons of research on it, but uh, basically he was just saying, like, it's helpful, like, if you're in a room, like, dimming the lights a little bit or, or having, like, a light next to your bed that's a little bit yeah. less bright, yeah. like an LED light. Of photons hitting your eyeballs. Right, right. That so I always... I thought that that was interesting, like, to think about it in that way, too. Like, if you are wanting to watch some TV or something like that, just turning the lights off. Yeah. Um, or even, like, on the phone, at any time I'm using my phone at night, I'm usually turning the brightness of the screen way down to the Right. Because similarly, right. like, the phones can get really bright. And yeah. And I know that because I, I had a little bit of insomnia last night, and I was up a bit late. And I just, like, went out to the couch and I was playing on my phone and, like, watching some Japan videos or something yeah, yeah. on my phone for a bit. And then my Marco Polo app acted up. I was watching a friend's Marco Polo. So I was like, oh, I'll restart my phone. And I forgot that my Samsung, <laughs> when I restart it, it is, like, the full power of the sun oh, coming yeah. out of that phone. It is so bright. And it, it startled me. And I had to turn it away from me. And it was like a flashlight just shining around the room because yeah. I was waiting for it to reboot all the way, but that welcome screen was so intense. You got, like, so, a new brain lesion from that. I did. I did. I, <laughs> I tried a couple of neurons there. But, yeah. Um, um, now, here is speaking of my insomnia, because I will I will admit to, so, A, 
I, I try to be realistic and that's why I asked like, you know, the no phone thing. There's a spectrum of ideal versus right. super not ideal. And then right. there's kind of everything in between. So in all honesty, the ideal scenario is that you just go pitch a, a tent in your backyard and you camp and you sleep out. No, I'm shit you not. And you go sleep in the wilderness every night of your life. That's the mm-hmm. ideal scenario. How many people are willing to do that, however? Not so much. But like when we took my now five-year-old camping for the first time last year, I got the best night of sleep of my life. And I was on a crappy air mattress. It made no sense, but it was cool. And I was listening to like the birds and the crickets and the squirrels or whatever. And we went to bed early because, you know, she's five. So we, we only stayed up past sunset a little bit, did a campfire. So between the early bedtime and being outdoors in that, that uh, tent, I got an amazing night of sleep. Like, and I had my aura ring on. So of course I looked at my data in the morning and I was like, oh yeah. But I think that was the most deep sleep I've ever gotten in the mm. six months of having the aura ring. But I'm not gonna camp every day of my damn life. Yeah, so, no, I, I, I'm with you. You know, camping preferably in a cave every day of your life and having no exposure to computers or screens of any kind is probably the ideal scenario. Yeah. You know, what we're talking about, like no screen time and no TV for at least an hour or two before bed and blue light blockers and dimming the light and like doing yoga and meditation and breath work and like all of the hippy dippy stuff you could think of is probably like the next best thing. And then way over here at the other end is like what is more common like the super dysregulated circadian rhythms and the people who are getting way too little sleep or really poor quality sleep. And if you can inch your way up the ladder, that has value, even if it means that you're looking at your phone at night. But right. you know, if you're going to do that, wear some dorky orange goggles. Right. And exactly. put the app on your phone. They're free apps. Like there's no reason not to do it. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. So, you know, it's, it's, you have to figure out how you want to live this human life, assuming you're a human listening person. <laughs> right, um, right. Judge. Like if a dog is a listener, I'm not going to judge that. If Chip wants yeah. to listen, then, you know, more power to you, Chip. Um, mm, that's another thing too, pets. Now, does Chip sleep with you guys or does he does he get confined to his own his own bedroom? He he does not sleep with us. We've like gone back and forth. Um, he sleeps downstairs. He's He's actually a very good puppy, according to what I've heard. Like new puppies usually like will wake their owners up in the middle of the night. Like he was always someone we like put a pee pad down, even when he was yeah. like had to use the bathroom. He would knew how to poop and pee on the pad, and then he'd just go right back to bed. He never cried. He was like the ideal puppy from a sleep standpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he does not sleep in our bed. But I could assume that that could create some drama too from a sleep standpoint. Well, it could lead to poor quality sleep. And this is something like it, it could be hard to tell an animal lover this, but like, I know I'm going to call out my mom. So mom, (laughs) if you're listening to us now, I have told her for years that she needs to lock her cat out of the bedroom at night because her cat will either like lay on her neck or, and purr at the top of his lungs, by the way. Like he'll lay on her neck and purr, or he will make bread on her neck, <laughs> like, and stab her with her with the claws. 
And my mom will wake up and complain about getting a shitty night of sleep. And I'm like, and then she'll talk about, oh, tuxedo started bothering me at 3 a.m. and I couldn't fall back to sleep. And I was like, lock his ass out. Like, he'll be fine. He's a cat. Cats are resilient. They're fine. And she's like, well, but then we would have to lock out the dogs and the other cat because I have two dogs, two cats. And it's like this whole drama. And I'm like, lock them all out. I don't know. Right. Like, right. Keep, the dog, keep the dogs in the bedroom with you because they have their dog beds and they don't bother anybody. But lock the cats out. Who cares? They'll figure it out. They right. might run crazy for like a night or two and keep you up the first night or two. But eventually they're going to get the memo. But, like, if you have pets that are sleeping in the bed with you, I love that. And it's so snuggly and so perfect. And, like, occasionally when we had beagles, our beagles would crawl up in bed with us in the middle of the night. And it was so precious. But also we would always complain. Every time Bonnie and Clyde got in the bed with us, we'd be like, yep, we didn't get a good night's sleep. Because inevitably Clyde would be, like, up at our level of the bed like he would have his head like between our two pillows pretty much and he yeah. would be kind of like lengthwise and then bonnie would curl herself in a little bonnie ball and tuck herself behind our knees so one of us would have bonnie behind the knees and then you can't flip over and you can't move because then you right. disturb her and you can't really roll over much because then you would squish clyde and it, oh it's my so gosh. cute the animal lover in me really wanted to let that happen but it was so difficult the nights that they did decide to do that. So usually we didn't let the, the beagles sleep with us. Um, it was just like on the occasional occasion that would happen. Yeah. Like I think getting some snuggles in prior to bedtime and sending them off to his. I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's just mean because then, oh. then they get excited and they think that they're going to snuggle with you all night. Well, we don't, we'll snuggle on the couch, not in the actual oh, okay, bed. Okay. I'm not yeah, taking him up snuggle... to the bed. And... Oh, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't snuggle in your bed and then the no. dog and the cat is like, no. yay, tonight's the night. And then yeah. get out of here. <laughs> no, yeah. we don't do that. But I, I think, you know, too, from like a, a lot of times I'll think about like what factor of the rhythms disrupted for certain clients that I work with. Some of them have very dysregulated rhythms. Like, I don't know if you've ever worked with a night shift person oh, or two, yes. but like it's really worth bringing up night shift work. And I've worked with a few night shift workers and I mean, I've found that it's really hard for to get their guts moving in the right direction when they're working night shift because their rhythm's just flopping because they're not usually sticking to their night shift rhythm on days that they're off. So yeah, their body, right? But their body never can like regulate itself. I totally get like your most of the people in your life are not on night shift. So they're going to have yeah. parties and things like that, that you want to, want to, want to uh, indulge in and, and be a part of. And that's, yeah. that's well, like living your forbid, life. Heaven forbid you're married or you have kids and then right. like you have right. to get your kids to school or like you want to see your spouse every now and then, like forget about it. Right. And, and I will say like the, the few clients that I've had that have been night shift workers I mean I just think like that's such a large hill to overcome that you know it takes probably trying to find something new that's not night shift uh to to really make some some big strides you could mitigate it in some ways but I just think that that's such a 
it dysregulates things so much that it's really hard for your body to, to cope. I had a really close friend too, who wasn't, is a nurse. Um, and she, we hadn't seen each other in a little bit and I ran into her, um, and she was like, yeah, I was feeling like awful. And she's like, oh, I stopped working night shift at everything. Like I felt amazing. Like it yeah. was all night shift. Yeah. Um, and that's such a hard thing because it's a, it's your job. Like that's how you make money. But if yeah. there's any way to kind of easily or, or like not too painfully switch to a non-night shift. Well, uh, and it's easier to take a probiotic than it is to get a new job. Right. Or it's easier to take, you know, the latest supplement or the latest antimicrobial right. or whatever. Like, oh, I just need to get this fancy formulation of oregano. And it's like, yeah. man, you might you might need a different life. In, right. In right. Some ways. And I was going to say nurses are the worst because yeah. what I've noticed with some of my nurse patients, not all, but most, if they do night shift, it's never purely night shift. So even right. like a lot of nurses and like bless all of you that you put up with this stuff for the sake of keeping people from not dying in the middle of the night. Cause right. like, I don't know how you do it, but a lot of the time it'll be like, Oh, I'm on night shift this week. And then next week I'm on morning shift. And then the next week I'm on night shift. And then the next week I'm on afternoon. Sh- and it's like, how is your body going to regulate anything for anything? Yeah. It would be easier. And I've had this discussion with some patients it would be easier. Like if you want to work at that hospital and you love your job and you don't want to get a new job, it would truthfully be easier to say, Hey, I volunteer as tribute. I'm just going to be the night shift person every week. indefinitely. Right. And then it's like, at least you have the five days of the week or whatever, where you're on the same schedule. And then you just have to figure out what to do. Like what's a happy medium for the weekend. Like maybe you sleep a little bit at night and you still sleep a little bit in the day. Yeah. But, that's easier than every week or every two weeks flip-flopping back and forth. And then your body's not going to know what to do. Um, yeah. So nurses. And I had another, I also had another nurse that I worked with who was getting no light. Like she wasn't working oh, night shift, yeah. but she was working in surgery and there was like no windows. So like she'd go to work and it'd be dark no windows then she'd go home and it'd be dark and i think that that can be a little bit that can That's be hard, hard on, on your body too because she it's not like she's working yeah. night shift but like huh. she'll be in an eight hour six hour surgery and not yeah. be able to, to get out so it was kind of tricky we were trying to get some sun like in for lunch or something like that like yeah, something exactly to get her some, anything any outdoor light to like anchor her rhythm at yeah. all but um yeah, I think those kinds of things, it's interesting just to kind of take note of. Um, I even think about my dad sometimes. He worked he worked at General Electric. He was a an engineer, and he worked in the basement of this building for like 30-something years. Oh, and gosh, even like, yeah. again, you don't get light in for, mm-hmm. for so long. He would get pretty bad. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it seasonal depression, but he would get so excited when mm-hmm. the, like, the time changed and it would be light when he came home from work. Yeah. Or so he would, I think again, like the, the lack of light in the winter really sucked for him. Um, So it's just something to kind of be cognizant of how much natural light you're getting and vitamin D is great, but even just that light hitting your eyes to anchor the rhythm. 
Well, you just you get a you just get a liquid vitamin D and then you drop it in the eyes. <laughs> drop it in the eye. Yeah, that, that's all. No, ignore the burning. Ignore the burning. Yeah, end. yeah, just ignore the burning. That's um, but yeah, I think the the light. I think also like again, if you do have to have a dysfunctional or atypical circadian rhythm, work around it to the best of your ability. So like I, I said, like if you're a nurse, you're better off truly. You're better right. off just saying, I will be the night shift person forever rather than doing this flip-flop, flip-flop. There's another woman I worked with and she was a single mom. So she was juggling like being a mom and then three or four nights a week, she worked a night shift at a bank. And we talked about it. She's like, no, I actually really like my job. Like it's, it, and it pays well. I only have to work like the three or four nights a week and I can support my family. But she was exhausted just all the yeah. time. And, and we talked about her sleep and she was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to nap. Like on, I think she would work like Saturday through Tuesday or something. And she was like, yeah, on the days that I work, I will try to come home and nap, but like my brain is too wrapped up and I can't fall asleep. So I end up just not sleeping right. for that part of my life. And I told her, I said, try this pick a time, you know, like one o'clock, pick a time where every single day, no matter if you are working or you are off or you're on vacation, whatever, pick a time where you lay down and you nap theoretically for an hour or two. And, you know, if you lay down and you never fall asleep and it just is like quiet time for you, that's okay. If you lay down and you actually fall asleep, great, but like go into it with no pressure no expectations, just tell your kids. And luckily, like, I think one of her kids was like 12. So that one could kind of watch the others a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, tell your kids that you need some quiet time and some rest and let them do whatever. And then you go lay down for an hour or two. And after she had done that for a week or two, she said it really, really helped. She was like, yeah. oh, now on the weekends, my body knows that like one o'clock is nap time. So now yeah. I'm able to sleep on the weekends because now my body is at least, it's like the circadian rhythm, the, the bulk of the circadian rhythm was still shifting all around, but at least she had that anchor of the one o'clock nap time. And right. she wasn't stressed like on the days that she didn't need a nap, she just laid there and it was like quiet meditation time. And on the days that she needed a nap, her body was able to get into that and actually sleep but that was really, really helpful for her. And also she was exhausted because she lived in a moldy house. So that oh, was a gosh. portion of it too. So fatigue could be sleep related and it could be other stuff as well. But that I found was helpful to just give her that little bit of an anchor around the dysfunction of the rest of her right. rhythm. That made a big difference. And I think that that's a really good point. Like getting trying to mitigate some of the effects that you might have with having kind of dysregulated cycles, even if you're like a new parent and yeah. your sleep's all dysfunctional because of the uh, a new baby and you just never know what the night's going to bring. Um, I think there's, there's an aspect of building resilience as much as possible around yeah. knowing that things are going to be dis dysregulated. So like what you're saying, trying to schedule like a nap in or schedule even just some stress management as well. Mm -hmm. like I think that goes across the board for sleep. If you feel like you're just stressed out to the max, whether it's from poor, dis poor 
circadian rhythms, like dysfunctional rhythms at, at the moment, or just uh, not consistent rhythms. Um, yeah. But even just general stress, I do yeah. tend to see if you're doing more stress management, like having an exercise that you're doing daily, mm-hmm. sleep can improve at night because you don't yeah. have, like, again, it, it just helps prevent cortisol surges at night or, or dysregulated stress responses at night. Yeah. Well, and I've seen that pop up on the Aura user group online that, like, when people talk about, I think, deep sleep specifically, people swear it down. They're like, nope, um, exercise has been the best thing for my deep sleep. And I want to thank you, my dear Amy, because last time we spoke, and I reconfess that I'm not a worker-outer, but I would like to be, I have worked out three times since our last time. And here's the key to rabbit trail on this for a second. So I was like inspired after talking to you last week. And I thought, all right, I need to do this. And it's like the perfect time of year that I can go out and I can run outside before it gets brutally hot and humid here in the South. So I thought, all right, I'll like get out my gear or whatever, my outfit. And I'm going to be honest, I don't love running. Like I enjoyed it more when I was better at it. (laughs) Like I was in really good physical fitness because of rowing and then like running became easier but now that I'm more out of shape like I don't enjoy running so I thought about I was like you know I'm not going to make it a habit forever if I don't enjoy it so let me ask you this too so you're already you're sheltered because you had not heard of you suck at cooking on YouTube (laughs) highly recommend um have you heard of the fitness marshal I have not. I have not. <gasps> oh, I'm going to send you some of, I'll send you my playlist. So he is hysterical. Um, he is a guy that choreographs dances to various pop music and they are a workout. And oh, he, cool. his commentary, like his commentary is just so hilarious. And sometimes he'll have his boyfriend as one of the backup booty dancers because he has two backup dancers with every video and sometimes his boyfriend Cameron is one of the backup booty and Cameron is so historically bad at dancing compared to Caleb Marshall that is just uh, all the YouTube comments are like we're with you Caleb Caleb Caleb, uh, Cameron Cameron represents all of us and it's just I'm like I will watch these videos when I'm not even working out because I want to watch Cameron and I crack up at the commentary where I crack up at the boyfriend sucking so bad at the dances. Oh, gosh. But I did, like this morning, I did an hour of dancing in my living room with the fitness marshal, and it was fun, and, like, I'm looking forward to doing it again. And actually, I think that's why I had insomnia last night, because one of the songs was stuck in my head, and I was like, oh, I have to listen to that again. And I was I was going through YouTube, saving more videos to my, my playlist for the morning, but then I was like listening to all this like pop music and I was getting all jazzed up, excited for my workout in the morning. So sometimes it'll bite you on the butt, but um, I will send you the fitness marshal because it's like the best thing on YouTube ever. And awesome. I, yeah, I need to, be doing it. I need to check that out. I, I, I love dancing. So mm-hmm. like I no, could I totally know. get into that. I, we oh, were yeah. dancing Armand was playing some video at lunch and I like dancing really crazy and seeing how Chip like responds because he gets all excited but like 
is kind of annoyed because he's excited at first because I'm like moving around and he's like, oh, something's happening, but like nothing happens towards him. So he kind of gets frustrated, but he does like bounce around, gets on his two legs. That would be funny. Um, I'll send you my playlist for the Yeah, I'd be I'd be excited to 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 hear that, but um, they know that's like awesome. Zumba esque, but in my opinion, better. Okay, and more funny, because yeah, again, his commentary he'll just like put in little quips where you're like, what? Um, well, and I love that you said he's funny because I I find sometimes with like group dance stuff, it, sometimes the instructor takes it way too seriously. At he times, does not. Okay, good. Because I feel like sometimes it's like, you do know that this is just like a fun group Zumba class. I, sometimes they're just too intense for me. Like the instructors, the vibe's not right. Um, yeah. yeah, I can't but, do that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad that you're you're getting your move on, it sounds I know, like. I know, I know. I'm very excited. And my abs are a little bit sore because there's a lot of like, like hip kind of moves yeah. some gyrations some hip yes, gyrations. Exactly. gyrations that's the word i was looking for uh, this is a good point too while we're not talking about anything academic and this is just us rabbit trailing um i had a dream about you the other night do you oh, want to know do you want to know course. more of course so okay so i've been uh i've been tweaking some of my supplements and i think that one of them is i, I usually have dreams anyway like i have a good amount of REM sleep per the ordering at least yeah i usually dream i don't always remember them but like at least a few times a week i remember something about a dream i had um but the last couple nights i've had particularly weird and noteworthy ones Mm -hmm. and i made a mental note to try to remember some of this for you so all i remember now was something and i i almost said you a marco polo and i was like no save for the podcast so There's something where, like, you and I were getting ready to record the podcast, Mm -hmm. but we were together in the same room, and we were in a library of some sort. So we were, like, at one of these big, yeah, like a big table, you know, like a study table um, at a library, and we had two hours until the recording, and I told you, hey, I need to go do something. I'll be back for the recording, and you were like, cool. So I left, and I helped my best friend from college, Paige, move a bunch of furniture and there's some commentary that like her husband Mike and she both had enough furniture to furnish an entire house because there was like a lot of furniture the weird thing is they've lived together for like three years and I, I, I don't know why I was moving them in my dream but I went <laughs> to go help them move and then I realized I was like oh I'm gonna be late for the podcast and I was like booking it to the podcast back to the library like you do and I got to the library and it was like, basically, it was like three, 301 or something. I was like, we were supposed to start at 3. And I was rushing. And then I was trying to get in. And I became aware that there was some sort of an audience, like a mm. audience situation in the library, mind you. And I didn't want to go in the door and walk through the audience to get up on stage with you. I thought that would be too weird. So I was trying to go in the back door, but the back door, I mean, I say door very loosely. The back door, there was like this crawl space situation where I could go like pop out the back of the stage or whatever. And there was a lady trying to get through the crawl space and she was taking forever 
and was like plugging it up basically and i was like hey like can you can you like move and let me in because i've really got to get in there and she reluctantly allowed me and she like backed out of this weird crawl space situation and i kid you not the crawl space majestically turned into it was about this high i i just it was like a foot high and like two or three feet wide oh this sounds like a nightmare it was a rectangle and it was small enough that like i tried i tried to get to you i really did but like it was it was not as tall as my head is tall so like i put my face up to the hole and like my face wouldn't fit in the hole so i was like well the rest of my body is definitely not gonna fit so now i'm panicking because it's like 305 and we were supposed to start the podcast at three so then I, I was like, I, I don't have a choice. I have to go through the audience. And I went to the, the actual proper door. Right. The door to go through the audience of like 30 or 40 people who were watching us do this podcast. And you were there. You were up on this like, now the table is kind of up on a little bit of a makeshift stage of sorts. And you're recording the podcast. And you replaced me. <gasps> Yeah, Dream Amy was a jerk. I mean, I also put her in a little bit of a pinch, but Dream Amy replaced me. Oh, no. And there was some other chick there, and I just, like, awkwardly go up to the table and sit down anyway, like, hey, I'm here. And then you were basically done. And you were like, okay, that's a wrap for today. And then I later found out that the girl was a nutritionist, but I don't remember her name. But, yeah, you replaced me. And then I found out somewhere in the the scheme of this, I found out that the reason why we had to start the podcast precisely at that time was it was being broadcast as a skit on Saturday Night Live. Oh my gosh. So we need why. to to interpret this dream that has some credibility. Yeah, if anybody has any dream interpretation experience, but I think that's why like the podcast episode was only like five or eight minutes long. So by the oh time I tried to get through the weird tunnel thing, and made it, I, I missed the whole thing. So maybe uh, I didn't replace it. Maybe like there was a Saturday Night Live that was like, we need someone in here. Maybe, maybe. maybe it wasn't I, will, me. I will give you that much credit, at least. I feel like Dream Amy wouldn't replace Dream Nikki. But... No, I wouldn't, but I'm really curious if anyone has any, any interpretations, especially the interpretation of not being able to fit through a, Right. Uh, oh, what is the, what does that mean? A one foot by three foot rectangle. <laughs> right. Um, I I think you know it's interesting you talk about dreams. I, I one thing we haven't talked about, and I know we've talked about it at some point, but is mouth taping for sleep. Um, I was someone that definitely I feel like has benefited from mouth tape. I know we've talked about how it seems to be sometimes hit or miss mm-hmm. with people. Um, but if you know you breathe through your mouth, the, the theory is, again, if you tape your mouth shut, you're breathing more through your nose. It's kind of a more natural uh, way of breathing at night. Um, you're usually not over breathing then when you're sleeping. Um, and it keeps you a little bit more stre- less stressed uh, if you're breathing well, through your nose. You actually get more oxygen to the brain. If you yeah. breathe through your nose as opposed to yeah. your mouth. So even like mouth breathing during the day isn't super ideal either. Right, right. But I tell my patients when I think it's relevant, I say, look, like if you are breathing through your mouth at night, or I joke, if you're catching flies, 
like right. that at night, then A, you might snore and drive your spouse crazy. Right. Right. But it's kind of like your brain is anemic for a third of your life. Yeah. And then how do we expect the vagus nerve or any neuron in your whole body to work if you basically have anemia for a third of your life? Right. It's, it's technically a hypoxia, not anemia, but like I think more people are familiar with the term anemia than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I first learned about that. It was Mike Mutzel's podcast. High it's so funny you health. say that because I learned about it there too. Yeah. Um, um, and he interviewed a dentist who I now follow on Instagram randomly. Is enough. it like Mark Buhini or something? Yeah, something like that. He has kind of an interesting last name and it's kind of pronounced weird. So I don't, yeah, I don't remember like quote me on it, but I think it's like Buhini or something like that. And he runs the site Ask the Dentist, I think. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, he also interviewed someone named, uh, Sarah Hornsby. Hmm. You heard of her. She does like myofunctional therapy. Oh, okay. huh. Um, I actually interviewed her. Maybe again, we can bring her on. She's really interesting hmm. for myofunctional issues and digestion. Yeah. Um, but she's, she talks a lot about mouth taping too, but it's, it's a really interesting weird thing i usually have to bring it up in a way that's like oh this might sound really weird to so like bear with me sometimes i'll be like yeah, at least like look into it um i straight up tell people this is going to be the weirdest recommendation i make today right right and you're gonna think i'm a crazy person but try it and see yeah um, yeah i tried it and i didn't notice a difference personally and i was really optimistic because i feel like a slug in the morning yeah just like the neurons are not neuroning. And I was so excited thinking, oh, this is the answer. Um, so not everybody experiences benefit, but certainly like the people who certainly if you snore, yeah, guaranteed that you're breathing through your mouth at night if you snore. So just yeah. ask your spouse or ask your roommate if you snore. Because um, if you think about it, like try to snore with your mouth shut. <laughs> you can't. Like you have to have your mouth open. Right. That no. was a, a, another good visual for the YouTubers right now. Um, but the snoring is number one. The other ones that I hunt for are, do you need to drink water at night or do you need to drink water first thing in the morning? Like you wake yeah. up and you're parched. Do you wake up with a dry mouth? You know, like notably dry, like all the saliva has shriveled up and lesser relevance, but sometimes will tip me off is, do you wake up with a stuffy nose that was not stuffy when you went to bed? Yeah. So I'll, I fish for those questions in my intake forms. And when people answer like one or two or three or four of those positively, then I bring up the mouth taping idea. Yeah. And one other one too, to think about is like, if you're a grinder, um, like mm. if you go to your dentist and your dentist is like, well, you're grinding. Um, sometimes your jaw will try to shift positions to get more like airflow. Um, and that can be an indication that you might be breathing through your mouth um, as well. That's something to, to look out for. But yeah, I think it's a something that's really easy to try. It's weird um, for sure, but it's not overly expensive. I, I found when I do it, um, I get more REM sleep. Hmm. Uh, so I dream more and they're more vivid dreams. That's what I noticed when I mouth taped. I would say I felt maybe slightly 
better energy wise, uh, but it wasn't anything like major, like maybe like a a 5% change. Um, But I do think I noticed a benefit and I've definitely seen other, other people that I've worked with where it's been like, whoa, a a game changer from a sleep standpoint. Um, uh, So yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a shot if you know you're like, snoring a lot, breathing through your mouth at night. Your partner says that you're breathing through your mouth at night, trying some mouth tape. Yeah. It's an interesting. It's really cheap. You just get the, you know, the paper tape or the 3M micropore tape. It's like yeah. four bucks for the roll and then away you go and you can try it out for a while. And then yeah. they make fancier tape if you really get hooked on it. But, you know, start off with the cheapo tape from CVS or Walgreens and see where it gets you. I would say, when I bring up mouth taping with patients, again, if they answer some of those questions affirmatively, I would say like 80% of the time people come back and they're like, I'll be damned. Yeah. It's helpful. And some yeah. people like 10 or 20% are like, oh, right. the best thing ever. And then probably 20% of people are like, meh, or say it's just too weird and they can't do it. Right. My mom needs to mouth tape. In addition to kicking her cat out of the bedroom, she really needs to mouth tape. And she tried it for like a night and was like, you're a try. I was spending the night at her house that night for whatever reason. And I like came downstairs in the morning and she was like, you're trying to kill me. Like overly dramatic. Like that was, I woke up and I had to rip off the tape and it was scary. I'm not doing that ever again. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So do as I say, not as mom do. Um, but it can be really helpful for some people. And again, it's cheap, but it's easy. Right. And I found too, sometimes that feel people that feel a little bit uncomfortable at first with it, because it can be kind of weird if you're like more of a, of a mouth breather at night to all of a sudden have this thing on your mouth can take a little time to get used to. Sometimes wearing it for a little bit prior to bed can help ease into it a bit. Sometimes it's weird. You could pair it with those nasal opener upper strips, yeah, breathe right strips, and sometimes that'll help. I have had some, like, I remember one patient I talked with a month or two ago, and he had like all of those questions. But when we talked about it, he he can't breathe through his nose, and yeah. We were to confirm it, I was like, you know, is it a deviated septum? Like, can you breathe through one versus the other? And he was like, no, they just both kind of suck, and um one of the things we talked about was maybe sending him to an ear, nose, throat doctor to just get evaluated to see like, is there anything that could be done? But some people might just not have the bony structure to breathe through their mouth or breathe through their nose exclusively. And then that kind of stinks. But I think most people can do some combination of the mouth taping and the breathe right strips and get some better airflow and some better oxygen to their brain. Certainly. Yeah. It's worth a try. Yeah, and I think if you are having trouble and there's like any any issues, one thing that you could do is look into like myofunctional therapy. If there's any myofunctional mm-hmm. issue that might be at play yeah. as well, other than just like uh, maybe deviated septum or something like very structural, structural and my, myofunctional stuff can be somewhat structural, but can usually be helped in some way. Yeah, um, that could Soft be another. Tissue. Yeah, that could be another area that you can look into. Again, Sarah Hornsby, I'd recommend. She has a site called My Faceology. Hmm. Um, she's really interest, interesting. And we did a, a 
a two part like YouTube hmm. discussion where like uh, we talked about how myofunctional issues affect the vagus nerve. Because if you're breathing mm. through your mouth, your tongue's usually sitting low uh, yeah. in your mouth and your tongue being up against mm. the your soft palate mm. is actually like helps keep the vagus strong. Mm. So like as you work on myofunctional issues, if they're present and your if your tongue's not in the right position, I know this sounds like really kind of out there and weird, but if your tongue's not sitting in the right position, it could lead to more mm. weak vagal tone. So she's found that a lot of times working on myofunctional issues helps with GI function. She just has noticed that that it tends to help. And she said, sometimes it's because people with myofunctional issues are, are taking in a lot of air. Mm. Um, And even kind of taking in so much air when they're chewing and swallowing Mm. seems to create some problems, but she also, and we kind of theorize that maybe if someone has, like through their whole life, hasn't had their tongue in the right position and vagal tone might not be great with, with a lot of these people that have myofunctional issues, that it could be a bigger a bigger player in a couple different ways from a yeah. digestive standpoint. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. I don't think, you know, for because I know the people who tend to listen to our podcast right. um, and our stuff, I don't want people to think, like, ah, this is the holy grail I've been looking for. I'm going to run right out. This is the answer and have it. Right, right. Like, uh, you know, go go through the basics. Like, are you iron deficient? Is your thyroid out of whack? Like, is your diversity, is your nutritional diversity and therefore your microbiome diversity in the toilet, pun intended? Like, go through some of the basics probably first before you go hire somebody thinking that this is like the answer to your vagal tone problems. And also like, I wouldn't jump to that immediately if you also don't have some stress management stuff in place. Right. Like if you hate your job or you hate your spouse (laughs) and like you're going through life literally or metaphorically grinding your teeth because everything about life sucks, you might be better off spending the money on therapy or meditation class as opposed to jumping to like the myofascial things thinking that it's going to be a miraculous cure-all for your vagus nerve but i think that it could be an interesting thing to pursue and for some people it could be really relevant so i think it's a tool to keep in the back of your pocket right and i've had a few patients where like i actually have a patient right now where i think it's very relevant like her jaw like the structure of her jaw like she's debated surgeries like she's been Mm -hmm. to a lot of dental um dental professionals and have advised been advised by a bunch of people as to like oh there's definitely some issues there with Mm -hmm. her bite is is um is a little bit uh i I don't can't remember i think it's a a pretty strong overbite Mm -hmm. um and it kind of has messed with the structure of her of her mouth but still some of the the stuff that we're working on outside of that's still extremely beneficial but there could be a bigger factor in her case um, with some of these bite issues. But I think you're completely right. Like most of the time, like, she's more the rarity than what I typically yes. see. Most of the time, it's not going to be this major issue, especially I think um, typically, you know, dental stuff is usually monitored. I think there's again, exceptions obviously, but I think most of the time people that have issues in that realm usually are doing stuff to help. 
But there are the exceptions where I think it could help um, to do a little bit of a deeper dive with a, a therapist, like a myofunctional therapist or things to help. I think with kids, it's kind of interesting too. Um, there's with kind of structure, like development structure of the, of the, uh, of the jaw and things like that. Like some of the work they're doing is really interesting there, but yeah, it wouldn't be the first, you don't want to jump over key foundational pieces to jump to like a myofunctional issue. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be something where like you log on to the SIBO Facebook forums and people are like, yes, I found it guys. This is the thing that cured my SIBO. Right. 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 I, I don't right. think it's going to be the Holy Grail, but I, I could see how it would be helpful. Certainly. Right. Um, right. But yeah. I think tool, tool in the toolbox. Um, let's talk about nutrition and specifically let's zoom in on carbs because mm-hmm. I know like carbs and sugar and blood sugar plays a big, big role in the sleep thing. I remember, you know, even way back when, when I started taking classes with Karazian and he would talk about like the patient who, particularly the patients who wake up in the night with like a shot of energy, like, like all of a sudden, just like, they're not just awake, they're awake. Like immediately think blood sugar because cortisol, the so-called stress hormone goes up throughout the course of the night as you're sleeping. And its primary purpose is not actually to be a stress hormone. The primary yeah. purpose of cortisol is to slowly release glucose from your liver by liberating glycogen so that you don't starve to death in your sleep. So as you sleep for longer and longer and you go longer and longer without eating, you're pulling more of that glycogen out of your liver. And one of the things that he talked about was if your blood sugar regulation is shit during the day and you're having all these highs and lows and highs and lows, then you're not going to be able to normalize your blood sugar at night. And if you don't have the cortisol to support that and pull the glycogen out of the liver, or if your adrenals are just shot and you have no cortisol at all, then I mean like not at all, but like relatively low cortisol, um, the next line of defense, again, to keep your blood sugar from going totally hypoglycemic and potentially starving to death in your sleep, the next thing that your body does if it needs blood sugar is adrenaline. So yeah. you get this release of adrenaline and it's literally like, okay, boom, you're awake. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen many cases where people say that. Like usually when I talk to people who wake up in the night, they're like, no, I'm just kind of awake. I'm not like super energized. It's just like, oh crap, I'm awake. Yeah, um, but I know that's a link with with blood sugar. But then the converse is true. If you don't eat enough carbs, or to your point, calories, you're going to have a hard time making neurotransmitters like melatonin. Because I think I vaguely remember that you need some carbohydrates to get um, what is, it, is it tryptophan or or uh, tyrosine or maybe both across the blood brain barrier, and then produce serotonin, which then gets turned into melatonin. So there's a sweet spot. You don't want to be having a lot of highs and lows with your blood sugar, but you also don't necessarily want to be so low carb that you're unable to make melatonin. And then that's impacting your sleep. Um, Yeah. Share, share. Yeah. I mean, I think again, usually first I'm like seeing where overall energy is falling. So are they under calories? If they're under calories, that's obviously where I'm, I'm going to start. So like, 
we need to get calories up and see what happens to sleep. Um, and then the carb side of things is really interesting because I find too, like if you're really low carb, like you don't really have glycogen stores to help you maintain blood sugar at night. So it can lead to a lot more disruption. Um, so you know, you, you want to have enough carbs at night and sometimes even filling the glycogen up at night, maybe having a little bit more carbs in the evening can help with sleep. Um, so I, I do recommend that in, in different cases. I think what I see, I see a decent amount too, is maybe not in the middle of the night feeling energized, but I do find that people wake up maybe an hour before they need to. Mm. Do you, do you get that? or hear that amount where they're like, Oh, I wake up at like five and I don't have to be up till six 30 and I can't fall back to sleep. And I'm like pretty energized at that point. And again, I I think, you know, like you were saying, cortisol is needed to maintain blood sugar levels. So if you don't have glycogen stores or have used glycogen stores up because you're either low carb or maybe calories in general are low, um, your body's going to need some cortisol to to go into the bloodstream and and bring glucose to the bloodstream to maintain blood sugar levels. Um, So I oftentimes see people either waking up in the night, usually they can fall back to sleep at some point. Uh, Maybe they're waking up to pee. I find that that's, again, a a, a big one to look out for. Um, But a lot of times we're just trying to make sure that the meals are balanced, that they're getting enough overall calories, and that maybe slating a little bit more carbs later in the day to see if that helps us sleep. Yeah, I agree. And I actually have a friend, one of my best friends has been doing the Dave Asprey bulletproof diet for the Mm -hmm. last month or so. He's been doing a challenge and she and her husband both feel really, really great doing bulletproof, but she started to notice that it was messing with her sleep a little bit. Yeah. And they were like, they were reading his new book in conjunction with doing the challenge. And I told her on uh, Marco Polo, I said, oh, it might be that you're too low carb for, you know, production of melatonin and whatnot. So she started throwing in like a sweet potato or like a small serving of rice or something in the, with her evening meal and noticed that it improved her sleep. And then like a couple of days later, she poloed me and was like, oh, and I just got to the part of the book where apparently Dave Asprey even mentions that in his like bulletproof, which is kind of a variation of keto, basically. Yeah. Um, but even he was like, oh, yeah, BT dub. This might happen to your sleep. If that, if that happens, here's what you do. And she was like, yep, you, you were ahead of me. I didn't get to that part of the book yet. It was like, hey, that should be bad. Yeah. Um, definitely helped. Yeah. Um, just be mindful For sure. of that. Yeah. um, No, I think I think you're right. I know we talked about this. Uh, I was poloing you about like sleep herbs. So maybe we can talk Mm -hmm. about that, too. But I I do know, again, glycine, you had mentioned on our polos. I wanted to make sure we touch on that. I think glycine can be a a great, um, great amino acid in general Mm -hmm. for things like glutathione and and such. Yeah, so very a very talented amino acid. I think we should have a podcast where we go through like different amino acids or just nutrients and like 
critique them, give them a report card, report card, so to speak. Would recommend. <laughs> right. But I, I think that uh, glycine's a, a great sleep aid as well. Yeah. Um, so that can be a, a good like nutrient to potentially work in at in yeah. the evening, whether you're doing supplementally or like doing a little collagen or something like that. And on the side, glycine, I don't know if you've gotten like just the plain old powdered glycine. It is scrumptious. <laughs> I've never tried that. I typically have done like collagens or gelatins. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, but... Just straight up glycine. Um, it's like a, it, it kind of reminds me of sugar, honestly. Like if I didn't know any better, I would think that now supplements was putting freaking sugar in the supplement because that's actually one of my new ones that I'm taking right now. And um, I revisited it. It had been a while since I had taken it, but I don't, I sometimes will use capsules of glycine or I used to, but I don't like taking capsules right before bed because I always feel like I need to push the capsules down with some food. Yeah. So and I don't want to eat something right before bed. So I got the powder and it's surprisingly sweet for an amino acid. And I'll usually just like, kind of like what I described with anyone. And I'm pointing because it's on my shelf right there. But I'll just, I'll like load up a big old spoon, pop it in my mouth, take a swig of water, swish it around, it dissolves, and then I gulp it down. Um, but it it really is pretty cheap and pretty effective and goes goes down smooth like sugar. Yeah. Um, um, it's, nice. It's quite tasty. Um, and, yeah, um, go ahead. It helps you make glutathione. It helps yeah. with detoxification. It helps with healing joint tissue and the gut lining and it's somewhat inhibitory and can help with anxiety and therefore sleep. So it's really a very talented molecule. Yeah. And I think it's something that we, because we typically eat muscle meat, we're not getting a ton of. So a lot of times there can be like the methionine glycine balance if you want to get into the weeds, but you know, we eat a lot of muscle meat that's high in uh methionine and less like organ meats and fattier type meats that can be a little bit higher in glycine um so getting a little bit of extra glycine can help balance that out and provide some amino acids that are really important that we might struggle to get in the diet um but yeah and, and i'd love to kind of touch too on the the sleep aids that you've you've used um so we can kind of touch on those i know we were like messaging about valerian Mm -hmm. which you we we were saying stinky stinky valerian god it's the stankiest herb oh my god i i was just sharing this on marco polo that we had a beagle who was terrified of thunder and lightning absolutely terrified terrified and I went to the hippy dippy bulk herb shop when I lived in Arizona and I got a couple of different things. I got skullcap and valerian and maybe one other thing at the herbalist recommendation. And I got them home and I opened up the valerian and it was, I, I, it was so pungent. I opened it up, sprinkled some in her dog food. She immediately ate it. She was a beagle. So she would eat literally anything, including poop. So that, you know, low standards is what I'm trying to say. Yes. But she ate it. She gobbled up right away. I sealed the container. I put it in a mason jar and I sealed it up. And like half an hour later, my husband came home from school and immediately he was like, what is that smell? Like he, he could detect it immediately upon entrance to the apartment. And I just 
laughed because it was long gone by then. But yeah, it was the stankiest thing I've ever stunk. But it can help. Um, it's very, very um, calming to the point of being sedating. So if you feel like you're a person where you're like, man, I just wish somebody would like knock me out at night. Um, it might not have the same level of effect as like a Benadryl knocking you out, but it does yeah. have a much more truly sedating effect to it. But it's, mm -hmm. it's one of the only, or maybe the only one I can think of right now, it's the only herb in the Nervine category that is warming that I'm, I can think of off the top of my head. So it's better suited for people like me who are always cold. I wouldn't think of it quite as much for people who are really warm natured, like what you described, like you get hot in the middle of the night. I don't know if it would be as energetically suited to you, um, but for corpse people like myself, it could be well suited. Um, yeah, I've actually, I've tried it in like a tea. I don't know what the percentage would have been in like a over-the-counter tea. Yeah. Um, just like a, a basic tea that I found at the store that had valerian in it. And yeah. I I feel like I got hit like pretty quickly, but then it, it kind of disturbs my sleep. Like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a weird thing. Like things like CBD, I get really alert from. Like things that tend to be uh, like sedating, I don't know what that means. Like sometimes yeah. make me even more alert. What about, have you ever tried ashwagandha? I have, I do like ashwagandha. Does it make you more alert and more woken up, or do you do you notice any effect cognitively from it? I feel more alert. Like I, I just feel I, I feel pretty good on ashwagandha. Like I, okay. I'm typically not necessarily like where I have a high level of perceived stress. Mm. Anyway, like there's certainly times where I'm stressed out, but yeah. like I feel like ashwagandha kind of I don't necessarily notice like a huge affect one way or another i just feel kind of okay. stable with it okay yeah because with both ashwagandha and valerian most people say that they are relaxing but about you know five or ten percent of the time people will get stimulated by them so like mm -hmm. i know one patient i sent her home with a sleep tincture um, which is just an alcohol extract with the herbs and i mixed and matched it and formulated it for her and the next time we followed up, she was like, yeah, that PM blend actually made me like really wide awake. And I looked at the formula and it had ashwagandha in it. And I'm pretty sure that it was the ashwagandha stimulating her. But that's kind of a, a less common reaction. Um, Valerian also, I think similar numbers. I think it's like one out of 10 people will feel kind of stimulated from it. But mm. most people find that it's sedating. I don't know why. Mm like what the difference would be. Maybe I'm not a hip enough herbalist person to say for sure. Um, but that's my understanding is that that can happen with both of those herbs. Yeah. Um, if you're thinking, well, crap, like I like the sound of getting <laughs> knocked out a bit before bed and having, you know, having coming down a peg, but I'm always hot. So what would be the alternative? And I would say probably hops, which Thank God this one is not energetic, energetically suited to me because I despise the taste of hops yeah. more than anything. But um, it is a very cooling herb by comparison, and it's not as sedating as valerian. I think even some herbalists say that it is sedating. Some say it's not. But it it's effective enough that usually people feel a notable effect. Now, you don't want to be an alcoholic. 
<laughs> right? Like you don't want to have a beer every night of your life just for the sake of getting good sleep because then you're probably revving up some inflammation and it's not worth your while. But what I was sharing is that my husband who loves beer and loves the taste of hops, but again, doesn't want the calories and he doesn't want to be an alcoholic. He has been making hops tea and it's like his new favorite thing. So he will get the hops from like a brewery store and then he'll make it into a tea and then he'll put some of it in the freezer and like parse it out and have a little bit of it. And he'll either drink it as like a cold beverage or sometimes he actually uses, we have one of those soda stream things. He will carbonate the hop tea sometimes and drink it that way. So it's like a cold hop soda, which is like vomit inducing in my opinion. Oh my gosh. Um, so you can get creative or you could use it as a tincture, which would be a little bit less of a, of a hit for alcohol purposes. Um, but hops could be really like affected in that regard too. Um, I really like passion flower, either as a tea or a tincture. It's very good for quieting the mind chatter. So if you have that voice in your head, that's like, you know, I have 8 million things to do tomorrow. Did you answer that email? What did you do about that? Who's going to do that? You have to get to school by 8 a.m. If you have that going on all day, every day, and if that's plaguing you at night, passion flower can help that shut up a bit. And then you can start to doze off more gracefully. Um, I will very frequently use it as a tincture because I tend to do like a.m. and p.m. blends for people. But you could use it as a tea as well. It's a very popular tea. Um, and then probably my other favorite, sometimes I'll use CBD, but not always, uh, just because it's expensive. No other reason than that. Um, and then I was telling you that the thing that's helped my sleep most notably is lavender essential oil gel capsules. And for me, it, it sounds dumb, but for like the last year or year and a half of my life prior to taking this, I was waking up once every night to pee. And I know that sounds like not a big deal, but it was weird for me. And like, as, as we would, the women in my family would say, I have good puckering strings. So it's not even that like, I can't hold my urine and it's not like I have a little tiny bladder. Like I have good puckering strings. I can hold my urine for a good amount of time. And I think I have a good size bladder. This is like way TMI. But for some reason, even if I peed right before bed, I would have to wake up in the middle of the night and pee. And it was just like the littlest bit of urine. It wasn't even like a big volume of urine. And I was like, what gives? Like, come on, bladder. I know you can do better than that. And I happened to start taking these lavender gel caps, just like one at dinner, sometimes another one at bedtime. And I was taking it more for, for stress purposes. And immediately like the first night I took the lavender didn't have to wake up to pee and I have not had to wake up to pee in the middle of the night since starting to take these lavender capsules so it it's hard to say how else but I think that it helps with anxiety and stress to a point where it allows you to sleep more soundly so I've observed that the lavender gel caps have been really helpful too I know integrative therapeutics has a product and I forget the brand now of the one that I take, but it's called Lavender SAP. So you can Google that and find that if you want more info on it. No, I think that those are great. I, I can't wait to do that our Nervine episode. We've talked about it a whole bunch. We, do. We, have, we need to do that. We have to do a Nervine. I yeah. just want to see you go off on herbs. All the, all the herbs, all the time. All the, 
all the Nervine herbs. And an adaptogen and one, too. We'll need a whole separate episode on adaptogens. Right, right. Like, I like ashwagandha, too. I do put ashwagandha in a lot of the PM blends that I do. It's just for like that 5 or 10% of people who get really jazzed up from ashwagandha, I have to take it back out. Um, but yeah, I do usually include it in PM blends because it's just nice. really nice for the adrenals. And most people find it either neutral or maybe a little bit grounding or relaxing. So most people I can get away with doing that. Um, but you know, play around with it a little bit. See, see how your body likes it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I like... Um... I, I like all those suggestions. I'm, I'm interested to try the lavender. Uh, I might have to give that a go too. I don't typically, yeah. like I sleep pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not someone that typically wakes up too much. Um, but I'm just, in, I think lavender is such an interesting, uh, I like it. I really like it. I like that it has an essential oil. So I have mm -hmm. used it um, kind of, uh, aromatically i've used it sometimes i'll put it in my baths random uh, enough i have dried lavender here at oh my, my desk like you know you're an herb nerd when but um just sometimes i'll just like break off a couple of the little lavender doohickeys and like crush it up and smell it yeah and it's lovely i mean i realized i could have the oil and it would do the same thing but my one of my best friends um, like she wanted purple flowers for her wedding and then when the, the wedding came uh, she was kind of pissed because her mom got a bunch of these dried lavender flowers to put like in the aisles and she was like no I wanted like fresh flowers anyway it was this kind of big drama thing but the, the take home was that she gave me a whole bunch of bushels of these bouquets of lavender flowers because like nobody else wanted them. And I was like, I'll take them. They smell right. amazing. And right. now I have them in a vase sitting next to my desk, funny enough. And every now and then I'll take one off and smell it. Um, or I had a patient once. She was exhausted after work and we had our appointment. It was like the last appointment of the day for me. And she was exhausted. And she actually said, she was like, oh man, I hope I can get home because I'm so tired. Like, I hope I don't fall asleep at the wheel. And I was like, oh, that's scary. So I sent her, I sent her home with a couple of these sprigs. And I was like, at every red light, every time you get, you know, a moment, break off some of these and grind them up in your fingers and smell them. Because like the smell will kind of, lavender yeah. doesn't wake you up. But I thought just some sort of unique smell and some sort of stimulation to the olfactory nerve will wake her up enough. And she was able to get home safely. I don't know if it was because of lavender specifically. Um but yeah, sometimes my little dried lavender flowers come in handy. But I've had them awesome. for, for a few years now. Good thing That's they awesome. last forever. Yeah. I love that. I'm love that. Like if there's other supplements that I like or other herbs. I think ashwagandha, passion flower, lavender. What about skullcap? I know you were talking about skullcap at one I point. I like skullcap a lot. Yeah. Um, there's two forms. There's Chinese skullcap, which is Baikal skullcap. I use that more as an anti-inflammatory. Okay. The, the Baikalin in it is profoundly anti-inflammatory. So I'll use that as a single typically. Um, American skullcap is, I use more for the nervine qualities. Um, mm -hmm. It. In one of my herb books, I like the way that he worded it. Um, he, the author said that skullcap is, it's a good nervine. It doesn't 
sedate and it's not particularly like relaxing any more than another nervine. But he said that it can be really helpful for people who just, and again, if you're not on YouTube right now, you're going to miss out on the visual a little bit. But like the way that I picture the skullcap person is like this. <laughs> just like kind of like, oh, oh, oh. Like look at all around like, ah. Oh. And like everything is attacking you. And like every ray of light, every sound, every molecule of air, you're just like, oh. And like tense and like attacked feeling and like cringe. I'm, I don't know how to describe the face I just made, but I was like cringing and like tensing up my body a lot. You have to look on YouTube. That's all I got to tell you. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of like that kind of tension is what Skullcap is really known for soothing. Um, like the people who feel really like attacked and really just like really profoundly stressed. Um, yeah. Um, I like, again, we'll talk more in the Nervine episode when we plan that, but there's a lot of other Nervines. A lot of them are good for sleep in some way, shape, or form, um, but probably the one that I use the most is Passion Flower, if I had to guess. Okay. Awesome. Um, oh, there's one more, actually. Lemon Balm. I really mm -hmm. like Lemon Balm, also. And it's dirt cheap, and it makes a really yummy tea, or you could do it as a tincture. Um, and word to the wise, if you decide to plant lemon balm because you become so fond of it, it is in the mint family and it will take over your entire yard. <laughs> like pretty much. Um, my parents had some on their property. I don't remember if they planted it or if the previous owner planted it, but it is everywhere on their property now. It's hilarious. But what's really cute is, I don't know if, if I gave him the idea, but my dad started going out and harvesting the fresh lemon balm and that he would bring it in the house and make a tea. I don't know if he's been doing it lately, uh, but he was kind of getting into that for a little while there. So I'll have to ask him, but yeah, lemon balm is very pleasant tasting and it's a very nice nervine and could help kind of soothe, soothe your nervous system nice. in the evening. Cool. I think it's, it seems delightful. I think lemon balm just seems like a delightful, delightful name. Mm -hmm. Passion yeah. flower does too. I, I kind of like yeah. when names are yeah are appealing. Yeah, versus like CBD. Right. Skull <laughs> cap kind of seems intense. Even yeah, this is the word skull. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, and I have a weird question for you. This is a genuine, honest to God question. If we're talking about the physical anatomical struc structure, the skull, is that spelled S-C-U-L-L -L or S-K-U-L-L? -L? I would say K. Hold on. We'll Google it. Hold on. I'll tell you why I asked that question. Um, I could be totally wrong. But if I had to pick, it would be the K. It is K. Google has proven so I, I have taken so many anatomy classes and I never remember, for what it's worth, Skullcap is spelled with a C, I think. Oh God, I'm a horrible speller. Anyway, I never know because uh, in the sport of rowing, there are two styles of rowing. You could do sweep rowing or sculling. Sculling is where you have two oars. So you have one oar in each hand and you do like, a, like yeah. this kind of motion sweep rowing is where you have one oar and you have to kind of pivot out and around your oar to get the furthest reach. And because I was exposed to that 
during all of the time that I was taking my anatomy classes and whatnot, like high school and college, I was talking about sculling and like doing sculling. It's still to this day, I do not ever remember if it's a C or a K because sculling the sport is spelled with a C and skull in your head is spelled with a K. And even though I just told you that right now, in a week, I will forget it. <laughs> I guarantee. Um, so oh, my, my neurons are a little crisscrossed because of that sport, but fun fact. Good to know. But I, yeah. yeah, I think it's, a, I'm glad that I, I'm surprised that I knew it because I am constantly spelling stuff wrong. I'm, I've never been known for being the best speller. I, I would have a much different life if not for spell check and things like, uh, oh God, what is it? Grammarly. I have Grammarly on my oh browser. My gosh. Oh, it saves my butt every day of my life. I love that. I, I need to get into that. Yeah. Oh, man. But all right. Well, let's see. So we talked a bit about blood sugar. We talked a bit about the evening routine and the habits. I think the habits are the biggest thing. Um, I will just throw this out there that, you know, you could think about all of this from the sense of doing what's right for your body and what your body needs, right? Like putting your oxygen mask on first before attending to other people. But sometimes that's a harder sell, especially for women and especially for mothers. Like they'll take care of everybody else but themselves. So things right. like sleep get put on the back burner. And it just, it feels too like distant from the gut sometimes. So you could do this for the sake of your own health or the sake of your own well-being. Or I will throw this out there. Your microbes have a circadian clock called mm -hmm. the microbial clock. And they get all of their information from you. So if you have a squirrely circadian rhythm, they're going to be having a freaking jamboree at all hours of the night and they're going to be doing weird shit because they don't know any better because they're getting all of their signals from you and primarily it comes from your sleep wake cycle and your fed fasting cycle those are yeah. the two biggest things but if you're not going to do all this for yourself and take care of your own sleep and circadian rhythm for your own good do it for your microbes because it's like you have eight gajillion children in your gut who are waiting on you like mom take care of us mom we need a good circadian rhythm and they really need you to prioritize your circadian yeah. rhythm and your sleep if you stand a chance at making them happy again so I'll, yeah. I'll throw that out there yeah for sure and i know that there's been um i need to pull it up but that time restricted eating so again i'd have to figure out what was in the study but a study where that seemed to regulate circadian rhythms um, yeah. a, a bit. So again, I think you're you're dead on. Having pretty chaotic meal patterns, I think, could be a, a big problem when it comes to your microbial circadian rhythms. And again, sleep wake. We've talked a lot about that, but the meal timing piece can be really huge. Yeah. Um, for for a lot of people, and again, like I think it's probably unrealistic to think that you're going to eat at the same time every single day for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I usually say it's like progress, not perfection. I think that's with everything. Um, so, I mean, if you're hitting it most of the time, that's what matters. But um, yeah, I, I agree. It's you thinking of it as what's going on with your micro microbial circadian rhythms is huge. Yeah. 
And even there's a study, I'll have to look in a second and see what year this was. But if you want to take a really wild trip down the internet alley, uh, there's a paper titled Effects of Dim or Bright Light Exposure During the Daytime on Human Gastrointestinal Activity. It was a Japanese study. They were looking at humans and basically they controlled what the people were eating, but then they divided up these, I think, 11 participants into uh, people who were exposed to dim light during the day or people who were exposed to bright light during the day. They had the same exact food. And then what they did was they did a washout period. So I think a day or two where they went back to normal and then they, they came back in and they did the other thing. So if you did the dim light the first time, you went through the washout period for a couple of days and then you came back in and you did the same study with bright light, but they actually measured gastric activity or I think gastric emptying after the dinner meal and breath hydrogen. Now they weren't specifically testing for SIBO, but you want to talk about something that's crazy for SIBO, like a, a big, big, big change. And some of these people, when you look at the graph, which I have pulled up here, when you look at the graph, the difference between the dim light and the bright light for some of these people, I guarantee would have made the difference between a positive or a negative SIBO breath test. So yeah. it makes you wonder about people who are going and getting a SIBO breath test and their sleep sucks. And it could be that the magic pill to cure SIBO is actually better sleep. So again, yeah. the, the title is Effects of Dim or Bright Light Exposure During the Daytime on Human Gastrointestinal Activity. Oh, and the gastric emptying was better as well in the bright light group. Yeah. Um, and it is a 2003 paper. But yeah, if you want a really wild trip and you want to talk about circadian rhythm with SIBO, I mean, that's pretty freaking wild that they were studying that even in 2003 before SIBO became a big thing. Now, again, they didn't. They didn't specifically talk about SIBO. They just measured the total volume of exhaled hydrogen throughout, I think, like the 60 minutes or whatever it might have been. Yeah. Um, so they weren't timing it and plotting it like a SIBO breath test. But I guarantee you some of those people would have had a positive SIBO breath test in the dim light and a negative SIBO breath test with bright light exposure. Yeah. So. No, it's that, it's wild. I, I think it's wild how, how big of an effect it could, could have. And I, I do think that... I mean, one thing that we haven't totally talked about in detail is that, you know, gut function, which you were describing, really wants to, like, be scheduled. Like, your body wants yeah. to have a schedule of when when you're eating and when you're not eating. And so it can regulate yeah. digestive capacity, like, you know, and enzymes. So what's expected of it. Right. Enzymes, stomach acid, bile flow. And I think bile flow is a really interesting one. Um, we should do a whole I, episode on bile and the gallbladder. We definitely should. But I, I think bile flow is something that's really, and something Dave Mayo talks a lot about in some of his circadian rhythm stuff is the bile flow being really uh, affected by circadian rhythm changes. And I think that that probably plays a big role in the motility piece because yeah. motility gets affected when your circadian rhythms get off. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it, I think, you know, even just thinking in the in terms of digestive capacity, like if you want to boost digestive capacity, well, and that probably in and of itself is going to affect what microbes are growing and, and aren't growing, getting meal timings and sleep-wake cycle, 
sorted out for the most part. Again, it's not like I don't expect you to like not go to a wedding or leave a wedding early Yeah, because you have to be in bed by 10 PM or whatever your bedtime is. Like you, you still have to live your life. The benefits of staying at a wedding and enjoying yourself will um, outweigh the negatives of missing your circadian cycle. So there's, there's definitely a balance between what we were saying earlier, living your life and hitting some of these goals. Yeah. And you have to, make those calls. But um, I think it can be a really, really big factor. And I think a lot of times people hear this stuff, where they're like, Oh, like, this is beneficial. But as I was saying earlier, like so much of the focus and energy is on diet, the diet side of things like, Oh, I just got to keep restricting. And that'll help. And I only have so much time and energy to focus on strategies, I'm going to focus on the restriction. Maybe I incorporate a little bit of this stuff, but I can't totally hit it because I'm so wrapped up in the restrictive side of things. It's really hard to focus. Yeah. So it's hard to focus on other things. So I just find that that opening up and kind of veering away from spending so much time and energy on the diet, I think allows you to spend more time and energy on sleep and circadian rhythm stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I have um, another question came into my mind that I'm curious to get your answer on. Have you ever seen a situation where healing the gut or working on the gut profoundly helped sleep? Or do you think it's usually the other way around? Such a great question. Because again, if there's dysbiosis in the gut, um, you know, that certainly kind of (laughs) right that certainly is going to affect sleep so I've definitely seen um situations where people sleep seems to have tanked like after antibiotics Mm -hmm. or like you know after a food poisoning event or after some of these major changes in the microbiome which I find really interesting and then once we start to kind of get the microbiome in a better place, sleep improves. So I've definitely seen that with some of my clients. Um, so I, I sort of view it as like, oh, like you definitely want to make sure that you're doing everything habitually that's going to help from a sleep-wake standpoint, but then also keeping an eye on what's going on in the in the gut and doing things that are going to reinforce your good microbes and help to you know, keep the bad microbes at bay is helpful for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I probably have seen it be much more. I think that the progression is that stress and Mm -hmm. habits and exercise feed into the sleep thing. And then the sleep thing feeds into the gut thing in addition to the others directly feeding into the gut thing. I haven't seen any cases that I could think of where like we started them on antimicrobials or we started them on prokinetics or we started them on something and they specifically were like, wow, I'm sleeping better. Usually we have to focus on the sleep or the stress or the anxiety or the mental health stuff in conjunction with the gut. But I don't, I think that a lot of people with good reason have this mentality where it's like, oh, if I heal the gut, then everything else will be better. And like, oh, right. if I heal the right. gut, then the autoimmunity magically goes away. 
or if I heal the gut, then this will magically go away. And that can happen. But I find that with sleep, like that doesn't seem to always pan out quite precisely. Right. Um, I haven't found like a miracle gut protocol for getting better sleep necessarily. But if you work on sleep and you address that piece of it, it can definitely, definitely impact the gut. So I tend to see it more strongly in that direction as opposed to gut backward. But theoretically, I could see both happening. It's just that clinically I've seen the one play out far more frequently. Yeah. And I feel like it's probably hard to really isolate that too. Cause like most of the time when I'm working with people, it's like, we're getting the diet piece in a better place. We're getting the stress piece and like we're working on so many different things that, you know, probably the stuff that we're talking about habits and things that affect sleep, mm-hmm. we're doing that simultaneously with helping with the microbiome. So it would be really hard to tell, like rarely am I doing anything that's just manipulating, modulating the microbiome without Mm -hmm. looking at habitual things. So it would be hard for me to totally isolate that. But yeah, Yeah. you're right. I I think for the most part, a lot of the lifestyle um, circadian rhythm type habits create an environment for microbes to, for good microbes to thrive and, and kind of sketchier microbes to not grow as easily. So when you have those environmental factors helping your microbiome in a lot of ways, I think that, you know, doing stuff that tries to modulate the microbiome without those factors probably won't be as effective. Yeah. So I think you almost have to have those foundational pieces in place for microbiome, like modulation to actually be successful most Mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, all right. We have been talking about sleep for a mighty long time, and I've loved every single moment of it, including our amazing introduction, which I'm still kind of cracking up over. Um, I hereby propose that we leave that completely unedited, just us attempting one after the other after the other so that people can get a good, good chuckle at us. Um, But I think that is officially a wrap, folks. So I, I sure hope that in the let's see hour and 50 minutes that we've been talking that I hope that we covered all of your questions about sleep. But by all means, if you have other questions, please do comment on YouTube or email us at ibsfreedompod at gmail.com. Shout out at Instagram at ibs.freedom.podcast on Instagram. And we will catch you on the flippity flip. Uh, you know the drill. Leave us a five-star reviews, please, and thank you. Or subscribe on the YouTube channel, comment, like, do all the things you do on YouTube. And we will be happy to see you next time here on the IBS Freedom Podcast. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.